Hey there, it's Dr. Heidi. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, a podcast geared towards the things you may be misunderstanding about the difficult relationships in your life. I did not understand it when I was in it, but I definitely understand it now, and I want to share that understanding with you so that you too can find the courage you didn't know you had to make the changes you didn't think you could make. Hey everybody, welcome back. You're listening to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic, Rid Your Life of Toxic People. This is Dr. Heidi. Um, Today on my show, I have a guest that I am actually very excited about, and I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of listeners that will be excited to hear her information as well. Uh, Her name is Lori. Lori has over 15 years combined experience in addiction and mental health. In addition to her 14 years in service to our great airlines, She is a certified health coach, certified family recovery coach, and a certified event interventionalist. We're going to have to ask her about what that is. Her life coaching areas are personal development, substance use disorder and mental health, relationships, families and loved ones of those in active addiction and recovery. Lori's drive and passion is helping others begin their own personal recovery journey and assisting the families navigate their next steps. She also finds prevention to be paramount and has several platforms to disseminate that message. Collegiate recovery is of special interest to her. Her dream is to help end the stigma so people are not afraid to reach out for help. Lori, welcome to It's Not Normal, It's Toxic. Thank you, Dr. Heidi. It's a pleasure to be on. Finally, right? I know, right? Um, So I have to tell a little bit about how we met because my listeners, um, some of them, just see me as I am now. And I always have to think, yeah, but if you guys would have seen me 14 years ago, you would not picture me the same way you see me now. (laughs) And um, so it was funny because, because I talk about how, you know, I used to be very worried walking into a room because about how other people would think of me or if nobody liked me. And it was back in the early stages of my, um, you know, my removing myself and try and my beginning recovery from what we call the toxic relationship. And I, I didn't really know the steps. So I, I laugh at myself now because it's funny thinking of how I used to conduct myself. But uh, we were at the um, Inspiring Lives, Empowering Women Business Awards event. And I had flown to Pittsburgh by myself. Um, I only know, knew three people in Pittsburgh. And one of them was actually on my podcast. It was my first client ever. It was, she was 17 when she was my client. And so I got to meet her in person. But anyway, I had to show up at this event completely by myself and knew no one. And I remember walking in there thinking, I hate stuff like this when I don't know anybody. (laughs) And so, so in my head, I thought, okay, you've just Mm got to find, you've just got to find somebody and start talking because right now you're clearly the only one in here who's all by herself and doesn't know anybody. Cause you know, there was groups (laughs) of people talking and I see this lady walk in and the funny thing is she looks exactly like me. Okay. Or similar. (laughs) And we both had our hair up that night and I saw her and I thought, oh, that's the lady I'm going to go talk to. And that's, that's actually how we met. And we hung out all night. Yeah. And actually, if we backtrack a little bit, I remember pulling in, I was going by myself, same situation. I didn't know anybody, but I was trying to get myself more connected with female, females in business, entrepreneurs, that type of thing. And I remember parking in the parking lot and I saw, I didn't know you. I didn't even know you were going to that event. And I saw you walking into the parking lot to go into the building. I'm like, 
that girl, that's my kind of girl. You had a dress on and cowgirl boots on. And I'm like, I like her. I hope she's at this thing. Walked in and there you were. And we've been, <laughs> we've been friends ever since. Yeah. And you know, the other thing was, is the more we got to know each other, our careers, I mean, even though they're in a little bit different realms, our careers have paralleled a lot, Very much, especially yeah. now. Um, exactly. So um, how did you get into the work of assisting those that are coping with addiction? Because so, you've been doing that for a long time. Yeah, I, I, I really started, you know, when I was a flight attendant. Um, but if we backtrack it, I lived the life of someone that um, had a father that drank. So I, unbeknownst to me that, and we'll talk about my college experience in a little bit, but uh, those two experiences are what brought me to where I am today. So as a flight attendant, I, that was a latter part of my career at the time it was US Airways. And I was trained as an EAP peer counselors for the flight attendants. So I was helping them with a lot of different things, getting help with finding therapists and substance use disorder, you know, was one of them and mental health and many, many other things. And fast forward, um, I left the airline um, after I had my son and I got into the pharmaceutical industry as a rep. And I learned a lot about mental health medications, which I talked to physicians about. And then there, I was there for a little while and then there was massive layoffs. And then I just found myself in the the substance use treatment world where I am today. And I know that all of the things that brought me there were meant to happen because that's where I feel comfortable and passionate about. Now I have other areas in which I coach, um, but this is an area that I have a lot of experience and expertise. So that's, you know, the short version. So, so how is this tied to your personal journey? So in my personal life, um, you mean, you mean the substance use Mm -hmm. part? Yeah. So I grew up in a home where my, my dad drank and, you know, I didn't understand it, but I, I just knew that when he had this, whatever it was in his cup that, um, he changed and, and not in a good way. Love my dad. You know, I didn't understand him and knowing what I know now, I understand it was never, ever, ever about me. It was always about what he was dealing with and not ever able to talk about. But then I went on to college and in college, I met a, a man. And, uh, you know, fellow head over heels for him, but he too had a drinking problem, but he also had anger management issues. And that's where I felt into a trap of a very toxic relationship that ended up with me being physically abused to the point of being stalked with a gun. And quite honestly, I'm very lucky to be alive. Um, I'm not very big. I'm five foot, maybe 105 pounds. He was around six two to something. Um, doesn't really matter the size when you're in a relationship, you can still get hurt if someone's not a lot bigger than you, but just for you know you to kind of figure out in your head what I might've been dealing with. And this was back in the, in the 1980s, you know, there wasn't any help back then. So um, it was a nightmare. Um, when I think about my, my years in college, they're, they're filled with trauma and heartache. So you know what I'm talking about when, when we talk about the toxic relationship, because you know that, that that's obviously where, where my expertise is. So, so since my work does revolve around that, I know that, that a lot of the people that I work with are not only dealing with the toxic personality, they're also dealing with addiction on, on top of that. So can you speak to us about how the, you know, the abuse and the, 
the toxicity go together because because I am not an expert in addiction and mm-hmm. um, I have dealt with it on occasion. And what I have found is a lot of the clients that I work with, we they tend to focus on the addiction as the problem. And when we start really digging into it, what it mm-hmm. what we really find when we get down to the nitty gritty is it is a toxic personality that is using an addiction to cope with that toxic personality. So, yeah. you know, and, and then again, when we, we feel like they have an addiction, those of us who are empathetic and want to help, we feel really guilty removing ourselves from that situation because of this addiction problem. And who's going to help them if we're not around? Right. So you- yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, um, first of all, you know, when someone is using a substance, whether it's alcohol or drugs or both, uh, they're utilizing that for some reason, you know, a lot of times in, we see it in college where I was, you know, it looks like everybody's having a fun time just to party. Um, but there's many, many people, once they have that substance for the first time, they feel differently in a way that helps them cope. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that may be, it could be, you know, anxiety, it could be depression. They could have some trauma, some PTSD that they are aware of or not aware of. Um, in my particular situation, um, the gentleman that I dated, you know, I learned fast and furiously that there was an anger, mis- an anger issue, which was highly magnified when he drank and he drank all the time. So, you know, and he had that a jealous personality as well. And I think what ended up happening was I fell for him. It was my first serious relationship. You know, I didn't have a serious relationship in high school. And had somebody that was paying attention to me and we, we seemed to have fun together in the very beginning, but it started with a pinch. And I always tell people that it started with a pinch and it ended with guns and a PFA and all of those other things. So I just disregarded that as, oh, he didn't mean to do that. And I kept saying that every single day, even when I was being punched. You know, I would say, well, it's not really him. It's the alcohol. So I focused on the alcohol and not him. And so it was always giving him a pass, you know, because he would always be remorseful. I'm really sorry. It was the alcohol. If it wasn't for the alcohol, you know, and I believed him and I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm not going to ever do it again. And, but he always did. And I always believed if I could just find a way to remove the alcohol, then everything would be fine and we'd live happily ever after. Yeah, so you understand that having, a, having it be very difficult to look, look past that alcohol. Um, I've had a couple posts just in the Strength Within support group this week of the, ver- of the very same thing uh, because there's always apologies in the morning and there's always the I'm sorry's and I'll do better in the morning. So, you know, when we, when we talk about leaving these type of situations, what, why is it so difficult to leave? How did you, I mean, obviously you left at the end because it was, it was really dangerous. Had you tried to leave any time before that? Or had you just really thought that he was there? We believe there's good in everybody, you know, and somewhere there probably is once things are dealt with, but had you tried to leave the relationship before you were forced to leave it? No, I had not. Um, I, I think about that. Um, and I think about, and I don't blame my, my family on this, but 
I didn't know of a relationship that didn't have that alcohol component in it. So I saw how my mom lived her life, albeit now I know not happily, but she kept it together. And there were times that there were the happy times, but there are also the really, really, really bad times. So I just thought this is just how it is. You know, I was 19, 20, 20. I mean, not when I met him. So there wasn't anybody to talk to and there was nobody to turn to either because people were afraid because they saw what he did and when he got enraged and when he got mad, he was like the Hulk. And so nobody would ever come to my aid. So I just felt it was safer. I hate saying this, but I felt it was safer to stay than to leave because he had a serious jealous side to him to the point if someone looked at me, it was my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, I had always felt I had to cower. I had to look down, look away if it was the opposite sex. Um, if I wasn't where I was supposed to be, he would be angry. And that's what um, caused the search for me um, with a gun. It, it was, um, I wasn't in my, my uh, dorm or my room, wherever I was supposed to be at that time. And um, word got back to me from one of his fraternity brothers that he was enraged. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. He had a gun. He was looking for me. And they whisked me away to the fraternity house, which everybody knew that he would probably end up there, but they felt that they need to try to save me, even though nobody ever had confronted him previously. So somebody knew that he was coming. They could see him, you know, far away walking towards the fraternity house. And it was at that point, one of his fraternity brothers took me out on a ledge on the roof where you couldn't see us, but there was nowhere to go. There was him holding me and there was nowhere to go but down. And then there was a window. If he had stuck his head out and look, he would have saw us. And I could hear him through the house searching for me, calling my name, angry, knowing he was carrying this gun and his fraternity brothers carefully trying to calm him, but also concerned for their safety. And, you know, I'm obviously very emotional and fraternity brother that was with, with me kept trying to calm me down and saying, you can't, you have to be quiet. He cannot hear us. You know, we were in danger at that point. We didn't know what would happen. There was nowhere to escape if he stuck his head out and pointed that gun at us. So he was satisfied as he looked everywhere and that I wasn't there and I wasn't there with somebody else or whatever was going through his mind. Um, And And I think it still wasn't enough for me to realize, but eventually within a shorter period of time, you know, it it got bad. And, um, you know, his, his parents came down, they took him away and, and and we never spoke again. Um, I had filed a PFA, but again, a PFA is a piece of paper. It doesn't stop anybody. It's not like the game rock, paper, scissors. That paper does nothing to a rock, right? Nothing. Um, So I just wanted to go home so badly throughout this. And I remember asking my mom and she just felt I could be stronger. I'm not saying this as a slam against my mother, but I feel like she, she held it together with her marriage with my dad. And I think she just thought, you know, you're cut from the same cloth, just deal with it. You don't, you'll figure it out. You don't need him in your life, but there's so many emotions tied to this gentleman and his family lived, you know, 20, 30 minutes away. So I spent a lot of time with his family and I felt such a sense of belonging and 
you know, in our, and they, they envisioned me as their daughter-in-law and all these grandiose ideas in my head and never once thought to myself, do you really want to get married to someone who could hit you because they could hit your child? Mm-hmm. That never crossed my mind. I was 19. Yeah. And you know what? Two things, two things here. You said about how you were so emotionally tied, you know, and the toxic personality is the emotional abuser who is going to want you to become emotionally dependent. And, mm-hmm. and those of us who are emotionally wired, you know, logically we can look at these situations and go, yeah, I don't think this is a good situation for me. But as soon mm-hmm. as our emotions get involved and because we are so concerned about what the, what the other person thinks of us, and we always are striving to be accepted and we're always striving to be enough that we continually keep, you know, our emotions on edge to please them. Um, but mm-hmm. I have, I do have a question for you. So now looking back on that relationship, because you knew it was bad when he was drinking, you probably thought it was good when he wasn't. So now, now looking back, was it really the perfect relationship when he wasn't drinking or can you see that? Yeah, it, he had other red flags and there was a lot of no. other controlling signs, even when he wasn't drinking now in hindsight. Yes, he had, he had a lot of issues um, and some of those were uncovered to me really in the last five or so years, because someone very close to, to him had shared with me, um, that he was, he was aggressive even with his own family. So there was that component was there. Um, I just didn't know about it or see it. Um, the other thing I, I want to kind of throw out there too, is this is a very easy time for someone in a toxic relation, an abusive relationship, especially um, because you feel so scared to develop their own substance use disorder addiction to something else because you can't cope. So you don't want to feel the pain, whether it's the physical pain, because that hurts. I mean, laying on the floor, I know being kicked, kicked in the head, kicked in the side, um, called names, um, you name it, had my hand rolled up in the, in, in a car window. So your escape is maybe I'll, I'll just drink too. And, and I'll just feel better. And this whole thing I'll, I won't remember in the morning, or I'll just take this pill to relax me. That's a very real thing. Fortunately, that that's not some path that I chose to do, but we have to be cognizant of other paths we choose that will be an addictive type of behavior, which could be gambling. It could be sex addiction, even going to the gym. It could be eating something that compensates for us really dealing with, with what's at hand. And what happened to me was I started at the gym and I said to myself, I'm going to join the gym. I'm going to work out. I'm going to get muscles so I can defend myself. I never once said, get out of the relationship to defend myself. I always kept myself in the relationship and figured out, okay, I'll just punch back. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that was never going to work. And you know, when, when I go back and I think about it, it's so clear to see how so many women so sadly, and men too, I know that men mm-hmm. deal with this too, but I'm more familiar with females experiencing this can go down that path or even a violent path where they're the ones that end up behind bars because they can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And they do something that the courts may not realize what led up to this in the first place. So there's a lot that goes on and you might be defending your children, you know, because you don't want something to happen to them. So there's so many components to this type of relationship. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, that was one of the things that, that I talk about too, when I started standing up for myself, because, because there, there also comes a point in a toxic relationship that you have tried, you've tried literally everything to keep things calm, to keep conflict down. And, and when nothing works, I think we eventually find that the answer is fight fire with fire. Mm-hmm. And so we, we fight back with the same toxic traits that they've been using. And you're exactly right. Then, um, things can go escalate very, very quickly. And that, that was something that happened in my case. Um, I knew I had emotionally disconnected and I thought, okay, you're going to start standing up for yourself. And it, it went bad really, really fast. So, so for the people who are in this type of relationship right now, because, you know, it's bad when it's bad and it's bad when they're drinking. And so they wait for the good times when they're not drinking, which as you have mentioned, we're pro- are probably not that good, but they're so much better than the bad times that it feels like a reprieve. What do you think people should be looking for? Because they know it's bad when it's bad. Mm-hmm. So is there any, anything that they should be looking for when they're feeling that it's, that it's good? Because I think that it being that bad and that physical and, you know, all of that anger and all that stuff that comes out when they're drinking, we, when it's, when it's calmer, we think, okay, well, well, this is what I'm waiting for. And, and what can we make them look at in that this is calm to realize that this probably isn't healthy even when it's calm? No, it's, it, it's not because, you know, you let your, you don't fully let your guard down, you know, and, and this is something I talk about a lot because of what I experienced growing up. And with this boyfriend, I lived in a state of crisis and chaos. And I didn't start to realize that till about five or seven years ago, and I will be 57 this year. So to me, crisis and chaos felt normal, felt comfortable, felt safe. When it was calm, I was nervous. Like, when is the bad thing going to happen? Let it just happen because I know how to handle it. I know how to survive it. I can take the pain, whether it's emotional or physical. That's how my mind was always working. So in, to answer your question, you're sitting in that great period but you're not fully relaxed because you're like, okay, when is he going to snap? Mm-hmm. When is it going to happen? So you're not fully relaxed. And I know sometimes it's like you're waiting and you may look for things that aren't, aren't really there. You know, like you might say, oh, he's going to do this or he's going to do that, or it may be better, or he really is a good man. Um, I think the best thing you can do, number one, is never confront, ever confront somebody um, that is, is drinking and angry. Never say, this is what I told you about. You need help. Let's talk to a counselor. They're, they're not going to be able to be reasoned with at that moment because they're not able to, they're not in the right state of mind. If you decide to have a conversation with them, I mean, I think you need to do it in a manner where it's safe. Um, if you can have an ally, if there's someone in your family or, or your friend group that has noticed this and it brought it to your attention, Ask them to help you, help you get help or help you figure out if it's time to leave, you know, that every case is different. Um, You know, don't, you know, don't wait till they're at that heightened state and try to bring it out because you're not going to make any headway. And you have to remind yourself of this. When they get angry over the little tiny, tiny things what happens when the big things happen in life, right? Like what happens when, you know, if you're married and, you know, there's bills that need paid or, 
you know, kids need picked up and all of the stressors of life, what's going to happen to their state of mind then if they can't handle a little tiny thing and they explode on you for it? Because it'll be worse with the bigger things, especially if it affects them. You know, we see this a lot of times. I hear the stories and correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Heidi, but I hear this, especially around um, Super Bowl time. They always say, just be very careful. There's a lot of abuse, domestic violence during that time because people are betting on their teams and whatnot. And, 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 and then there's alcohol obviously involved if you're, you know, partying with a bunch of people, but it could be any time of the year, you know, that we look for it. And, and that brings up another thing. Don't dismiss somebody's actions because you want to have uh, whatever holiday you celebrate the perfect picture postcard holiday because you see everybody else or you think everybody else has the picture perfect holiday because we don't know what goes on behind closed doors because remember your door's closed and you haven't allowed anybody to peek into it either. So you appear on the outside, you know, for, to most people potentially as a, a really great couple. So, you know, keep your eyes on your inside and decide that, you know, you can't overlook something because it's, you know, Christmas or Easter, or it's a, Memorial Day weekend or whatever it may be. Those, those are all very important holidays to celebrate, but if you're not alive, you're not, you're not going to get to celebrate them and your family and your, if you have children are going to be in deep grief over this. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that, that you're kind of talking about there is, um, we're so glad when it's over because then we can move on. You know, we learn to be in survival mode. It's, Mm -hmm it's constantly paying attention to what they're doing and what they're saying. So we can have plan A, plan B and plan C ready to go. You know, we're always anticipating what's coming down the pipes. And so mm-hmm. when something bad happens, like if it is Super Bowl or if it is a holiday or if it's something like that, we just go, okay, good, that's over. And we set it on a shelf because now it's Tuesday and we have to get through Tuesday. Exactly, you know? exactly. And, and, and I often liken to it to a tornado, like they're a tornado, they disrupt everything. And then just when you get it all cleaned up, the tornado hits again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like you said too, the problem is we get, we get very used to living in that chaotic setting. And I, mm-hmm. I know my, that my daughters dealt with this quite a bit because they were so used to living in chaos that when they finally got out, they would, they could only live peacefully for about three months. Mm-hmm. And then either, you know, they would start drumming up drama or they, you know, they pack up and move someplace else. And, I'll never forget my oldest was so excited when she actually stayed in one place for a year. She's like, mom, I've been in the same place for a year, but Mm -hmm. peace and calm is so uncomfortable because like you said, you're never really in it because you're always anticipating the next thing. So, so what you're talking about is what a lot of, of my clients and the people that are listening to this podcast are dealing with right now. So how would you suggest that those that are in this situation that are maybe hearing this stuff for the first time, where do they start? to move forward, either either if they choose to stay in it for now, or if they're wanting to move forward from it, because it's not just like one Friday morning, they pack up and leave. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes we have to do that, but if they want to start really observing and thinking about this from a different perspective, other than I need to survive, we need to get through this, what's coming next, where, where would they start looking to, to start validating the fact that, yeah, it's bad when it's bad, but it's also not as, as good when it's supposedly good. Right. And I I think, you know, pay attention to the group settings that you're in with your family, see how other people react to this individual. So you can see, 
that there it, it it's not you just imagining it because people will say stuff you know they will make comments like oh you've had too many you better slow down or maybe a family member will come to you and say well I'm not happy about this. You know, typically it's our close family members, like your like sister or mother, like, look, I don't like how he's treating you. You know, what are you going to do about this? And, and our, put, our normal, our normal reaction there is to make excuses for them. Right. You know, because again, we're behind closed doors. We don't want people to know it's as bad as mm-hmm. it is. So, so you're right. It's, Stop especially making if someone said, I told you not to marry him. Because you, you don't want to have to hear the, I told you so, but you know what? Sometimes you've got to realize it's okay. If we hear that I told you so is because you're the one that's living it now mm-hmm. that I told you so is much minor than living in that fear all the time. So it's finding your resources, your trusted confidential resources, because I don't know what everybody's situation is. It could be very dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, anytime there's, um, physical violence there always is you don't know and alcohol or drugs get involved we just don't know so when you, um, when you say resources just so that people can hear this when you say resources what type of resources would they be looking for so number one family if, if you have a trusted family member so they at least know what's going on if you're afraid to reach out for fear that your um your husband or partner whoever um is going to check your phone or hear you um, then I would suggest things like when you go to your normal doctor, your OBGYN, your PCP, having a private conversation with them because that person's not with you. Listen, I'm talking to you confidentially. You don't know where to turn. I don't know how to do this. You know, I'm really being watched because some of these guys, mine was one of them, wanted to know everything I did and who were you talking to? And that's a guy and, and, and all in all and all. So you're terrified that you're being watched at every moment. So if you don't know how to do that, find ways that are confidential like that to do so. Um, I'm available to to be there for you. And even if I can't help you one-on-one, which I would love to do, I can connect you to resources in your area. Um, Maybe it's something as simple as finding, you know, not that you may need to, every situation is different as we talk about Dr. Heidi, but what would happen if you, you felt yourself in such severe danger? Do you know what you're going to do in that very moment of time? Because there's no time to think. It's, it's time to react. Yeah, and having go. a plan. Having a plan. And having that plan. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I never thought, listen to me, when I say this, I never thought to have a plan when I had that pinch happen to me. It, it, the pinch and the pinch turned a little bit harder, you know, and then twisted my arm. And then you start thinking, why does he have to? hurt me when he gets angry and that it escalated you know so I, I caution you if you're listening and you're in the beginnings of this right now now's the time to leave if, if it's just in the very beginning and, and, and you're hearing some of the things I'm saying a pinch someone that wants to be in your life is not going to want to physically hurt you in any way mm-hmm. if they disagree with you they don't like what you're saying then that's a conversation like guess what we don't gel maybe we don't we don't we're not a couple mm-hmm. versus controlling you with fear and that's what ends up happening yeah and we you know we talk about the character traits of the toxic person and the fear the instilling fear is one of them because they feel power when when somebody fears them which makes them which makes them feel more secure which again a lot of that drinking and coping may be coming from an insecure place so so Lori, if i know that in the last year you you're trying to transition out of your 
your, we'll call it the day job, but the mm -hmm. job that you've been doing because you want to really start delving into this and being able to work for yourself. So um, mm -hmm. tell us the path that you, that you have taken and what services you provide. So if there is people that do want to get a hold of you for resources or, mm -hmm. or for coaching or for help with this addiction, um, how would they find you? Yes. So I am very easy to find. I have my website is under construction. I could still give the website um, and it's life coach Lori Paul at Gmail. I mean, excuse me, life coach Lori. Hang on a sec. I'm going <laughs> to, it's life coach. Okay. Let's just do this. I am very close I'm, with Lori and I know how to get a hold of her. And so <laughs> I'll give you my, how about this? I'm going to give you my phone number. It's easier because it's under construction right now. I'm having it redesigned. So it's call me at 412-974-4195. I'm on social media and you can find me at coached by Lori Paul and on LinkedIn, um, Facebook and Instagram under that, that handle. Um, and I'm not quite sure with my URL cause we changed it uh, we just had it. We just changed it. So I don't want to give it. Um, cause that's, I, that's I'm okay. If they find the website and if, and if you can't find her, you all know how to get a hold of me. You can email me through my website. Mm -hmm. You can you get to hold of me through Facebook or, or, you know, whatever I can get you connected with her. But, but, you know, some of the things that, that you have as far as the, the resources for addiction and stuff, mm -hmm. I don't have those. So Thank you so much for being on here because there is Thank a you. ton of, of need for this. And I am super excited about your new um, passion and where Thank this you. whole Thank thing you. is going to take you. And I have, I mean, we've talked about working together for a long time, so I'm certain that we will be doing more of that in the future. Me and too. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you'll be back on the podcast sometime soon. Thank so, you. I would love that. Yes, Thank, thank you so much. Thank you for being here. And if people have questions for her, like I said, I can get them to you or um, you can probably search her and you'll be able to find her. So um, once again, thank you, Lori, and we will thank see you. you again soon. Thank you, Dr. Heidi.